opening up a dialogue of talking about mental illness, acknowledging that mental illness is the leading cause of disability in the workplace. It's estimated that mental illness costs the Canadian economy $51 billion annually. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest today is Deborah Gillis, and Deborah is the president and CEO of the CAMH Foundation. And CAMH, if you're not familiar with it, is the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. It's Canada's largest mental health teaching hospital and uh, one of the world's leading research centers. Uh, their tagline is where mental health is health. And I want to have Deborah on because mental health is finally something that everyone's talking about. It's something that is being pulled from the shadows, and it's something that in the workplace, we recognize that leaders have to promote. It's not just the injuries that we can see that matter. It's the ones that we can't see that can often be far more devastating and lasting. And I believe it's an imperative for leaders who want to inspire, who want to create great workplaces that they are able to communicate in a way that promotes mental health. So I want to have Deborah on to talk about that and why uh, the time has come for people, whether you're in a leadership role or Uh, not to speak up and support mental health. So it's an important conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I'm really excited to welcome Deborah Gillis, president and CEO of Cam H Foundation to the Inspire podcast. Deborah, welcome. Thanks very much. Delighted to be with you, Bart. Yeah, and I'm delighted to have you because uh, you know, in our in our last conversation, we talked about a topic that I believe is finally finally coming to uh, the public consciousness, which is the importance of uh, creating workplace cultures that promote good mental health. And you know, you, you can't open the magazine, you can't um, you know read the paper. I was reading the New York Times last weekend, and there was an article I never would have read ten years ago about a pro football players or collegiate football players. Uh, battles with mental health and how the team he had been with had tried to help him through this. So I think we're we're finally seeing a changing of the the zeitgeist around this and a willingness and in fact a desire of people to engage with it. And the reason I want to have you on is to talk about um, talk about that change, but more importantly, perhaps uh, because of the podcast focus, talk about how people listening can intentionally and effectively speak up to promote mental health in the organizations where they work. So let me start by, before we get to that uh, weighty topic, (laughs) let me just take a step back and ask you to introduce yourself. Uh, What led you to join CAMH uh, in 2018 uh, and a bit of your story? Well, I think like many Canadians, um, I have experienced in my own circle of friends and family uh, those who've struggled with addictions, mental health issues. I have 
seen, frankly, the burden of the stigma that's been associated with mental health, both for those who were facing uh, mental illness or addictions and for their families, um, a fear and unwillingness to have an open conversation, um, the guilt and wondering about what someone should have known or understood or conversations that they wish they'd had um, to those who hesitated to reach out and get the help that they needed when they needed. Um, and so for me, I looked at that issue and, and really believed that there has been great progress. There has been great progress, but there's still so much to do. And I feel like this is particularly an important inflection point for the global conversation about mental health. And I want to be part of that at a world-leading organization that is really both um, making great strides in breaking down stigma, but also in ensuring that patients and families dealing with mental illness and addiction have access to the very best treatment and services. And for those listening who may not know, CAMH stands for the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. And it's based here in Toronto. Um, and so you're, you're heading up the foundation, but perhaps you could just elaborate. You say a world-leading organization. What does CAMH do? What's its mission? CAMH is the largest mental health uh, and addiction hospital in Canada, serving over 37,000 patients uh, each year. Um, and of course, also providing and uh, a research institute that is one of the top in the world attract, attracting philanthropists and uh, support from uh, many organizations to really lead to breakthroughs in both the diagnosis and treatment of mental health. Um, and as one of the leading organizations in the country, I think is, a, is something that we're all really proud of. I like to say that this is a place where hope lives and, um, and the research that is done at CAMH is really a critical part of that, of that hope um, because the, the opportunity to understand the brain, to understand mental illnesses and to provide kinds of treatment and services and diagnostics that can really make a difference in people's lives is, is transformative. You, I'm sure, read with interest as I did the remarks of Elon Musk uh, some months ago, describing his, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, his approach to work is all I'll say. What was, you know, as someone who heads up the foundation, who's actively involved in promoting mental health, what was your take on his comments? I think that his story was an example of what you and we've all seen in many different industries where that hard driving, hard working pressure-filled, stressful environment is almost viewed as not just an expectation, but for some, a badge of honor. That's kind of how the, the world is meant to be. And I think for, um, I think we need to shift the conversation so, for, so that those of us in workplaces that are observing those behaviors or observing changes in behaviors of our colleagues um, are able to recognize them for what they often can be, which is a sign of, of something um, not going well with their mental health and wellness. 
and being able to ask questions of, are you okay? I've noticed that something's different. Um, do you want to talk about it? I think is really important versus um, a situation where you observe those behaviors and they're kind of accepted as, sure, that's just part of you know what it takes to be the leader of a, of a company like like uh, like his or like others. And in, in fact, I must say, as I was coming into this role, I had conversations with a couple of CEOs who told me stories about colleagues in their own organizations who were in situations where, again, the behaviors that seemed um, a bit different for them um, were kind of accepted as, oh, they're busy or they're traveling a lot or they're under a lot of pressure or stress and and no one really reached out or asked if everything was okay or if something was going on until there was a crisis point. So again, I think in workplace culture, really being attuned to that is um, is something that's really important. And leaders play a big role, as I, as I said earlier, in, in shaping the culture and environment um, so that there is, again, that sense of psychological safety to have conversations, just as we've seen leaders do in so many other issues, whether it's um, in other aspects or dimensions of diversity and inclusion um, and the role that leaders have played in, in really opening up uh, dialogue. It, yeah, it really, I agree. couldn't agree more. It starts with leadership and it starts with a vision for what's possible, what, what kind of a different culture we should aspire to. So, I mean, if, we're, if there's someone listening on the call, and I'm, I'm interested in myself as someone who runs a, a small organization, but one where I, too, have experienced um, situations where people have uh, had uh, mental health issues where I would have liked to be able to be better at supporting them. What, as a starting point, should you convey to an organization about the aspirational culture that you, can, that you want to create? Well, you know, I would say at a highest level, um, from my perspective, that there's been a lot of uh, focus and attention that leaders have played and organizations have played to creating inclusive workplace cultures. And for me, it's really important to draw and make the point that a workplace culture can't be inclusive, truly inclusive, if there are groups of employees who do not feel that they can talk about what's really going on with them. Um, and, and so that inclusion conversation must very intentionally be viewed as um, including those who are facing issues around mental health, that that health and wellness in the workplace is a critical component of that. And I think for colleagues, um, just again being attuned to observing the behaviors of colleagues and if we're seeing something different in their behavior or how they're responding to asking simple questions. Um, I think extending that olive branch with a simple question about, are you okay? Is there something going on? seem to be behaving differently? Would you like to talk about it? Um, that extension of an olive branch, I think, sends a really important signal to someone that they are not alone, that 
they are not isolated in an organization that they can talk to someone um, and that goes a long way um, I think when someone someone may be facing a difficult time um, in their lives and might hesitate to talk about it in the workplace and of course most workplaces today include um, employee assistance programs that provide access to various services so finding ways and, and knowing how to even encourage or direct a colleague to talk to HR to, to access those kinds of services can be really helpful. So you're, you're describing both things that you can do for an individual whom you see where, as you say, extend the olive branch, but also some things that you can do if you're a leader for an organization. And, and I'd like to dive deeper into the lather and then come back to the individual. Let's say you're someone who is in an organization where there hasn't been a culture of mental health. You know, we're, let's imagine you're working at Tesla or another organization where it is about you know work hard and deliver results at all costs. What should you do first? And, and we'll assume the person's not the CEO. What should you do first to begin changing that culture? Just opening up in a way that says that the health and well-being of employees extends to their physical health and safety in the workplace and their mental health and safety in the workplace. And and just by visibly talking about it in meetings or individually um, using opportunities to tell stories or share experiences, then makes it okay for others to have those conversations. And of course, doing things um, that really role model behaviors um, as a manager, as a leader of, you know, respecting boundaries, taking time off, taking vacation, doing all those kinds of things that send a signal that, that your mental wellness, that your health and well-being in the workplace matters and is important to the organization um, can also go a long way. So when, when you start having these conversations, so let's imagine, so we have a leader who's starting to walk the walk, who is sharing their personal experiences. Then you're getting into the, you know, the actual tough conversations. What are a couple of the most challenging but important conversations that you need to have if you're going to create this kind of culture? Yeah, and again, I you know I would say that it's not it doesn't necessarily always mean self disclosure or talking about your personal experience, hmm, okay. but acknowledging that issues are going on. So, for example, you know there have been a lot of leaders, um, CEOs of organizations who have have talked openly about how they have held conversations in their workplace about um, issues of sexual harassment or issues around race relations. And as they've opened up dialogue within their organizations, as they've created platforms and forums for conversations to happen, that's been hugely empowering and healing um, as people have felt that they can come forward and talk about what's going on because it sends a message to employees that the issue matters that the values of that organization are aligned with the values of the employees. So in the same way, opening up a dialogue of talking about um, mental illness, acknowledging 
that mental illness is the leading cause of disability in the workplace. It's estimated that mental illness costs the Canadian economy $51 billion annually. And we know, and you, you look around any workplace, the statistics tell us that one in five Canadians will experience a mental health uh, problem each year. So if you look around any workplace and say, we're representative of the Canadian population, that means that someone in our workplace or our families or the families of our employees are experiencing um, issues related to mental illness at that very moment. How important is it um, for those individuals to believe and to see and to feel that coming forward and having a conversation is not only okay, that it that it's really it's accepted and encouraged, and that there will be um, support and help available uh, to those employees who who need it. So, when you initiate those conversations, let's imagine that you you identify behaviors that may prompt you to feel that there may be a mental health issue. What are some uh, what's some guidance that you provide to people to have a successful, productive conversation? Uh, my advice would be is to start with a very gentle conversation and, and ask a question. Is everything okay? I've noticed that you, you know, seem to be behaving differently. or And just, you know, as in any conversation, the act of listening and, and responding appropriately and um, and respecting the boundaries and signals that someone might send. But again, perhaps um, depending on your organization, you know, just reminding someone that, you know, there are uh, employee assistance programs that are available if that's something that they think might be helpful for them. But again, um, just wanting to be respectful of someone's, someone's right. uh, boundaries. So it really is about recognizing, you know, the signs and people who, that things may, there may be an issue, opening the dialogue in a very private and safe way and being able, not necessarily trying to solve anything, but bringing, you know, support and uh, connecting people with resources uh, wherever possible to empower them. Is that a, a fair summary? And so you're really stressing that, that the conversation is about ensuring the well-being of that individual and that, you know, that's, your, that's what you're focused on and that you care about doing that in a private and quiet space where someone feels comfortable. Um, and of course, uh, making sure that you have time set aside to, to have the conversation um, and not sort of raise something important like this and then say, oh, you know, I, I've, I've got to run to a meeting now because... Um, you know, that that can be, uh, you know, obviously could be a very uh, important conversation for that individual. Expressing concern about their well-being, as I said earlier, really stressing that that's the reason that you're raising it, and then describing some of the reasons of why you might be concerned in a way that is, is referencing um, those observations that you've had or what you've observed that may be different not making assumptions in any way about what that is, but just asking questions. Um, and then, of course, depending on how that colleague has responded to, 
to talk to them about, you know, any next steps, as, as I said earlier, whether it's accessing your employee assistance program or, or just giving giving that employee, um, you know, some ideas of where they could go next. And of course, offering to talk again, if that would be, if they'd like to do that, so that in that spirit of being positive and supportive, that employee knows there's an open line of conversation and that there's a place that they can go. And, and just listening to you describe this, you know, approach, which is really centered in caring for the person, listening to the person. What I'm struck by is how this isn't about management. You know, what you're describing could be done by anyone at any level with any sure. working relationship. And and that to me speaks to the fact that this kind of broad culture change is not something that should be legislated from, you know, a CEO, but really is something that's incumbent on every person in any organization to do and that every person can make an impact. Is, is that accurate? Oh, oh I, I believe that's absolutely true. We all have a responsibility that care about our colleagues in the workplace, just as, you know, if if you were sitting in a meeting or a room or observing a behavior that you would describe as being intolerant or where you observed someone saying uh, engaged in behaviors that would be sexual harassment or discriminatory or any of the, you know, a range of issues, we all have a responsibility to call them out. Um, And um, our silence um, frankly, can contribute to the sense of isolation that someone might be feeling in that moment. And so again, in these situations, depending, of course, on the circumstances and your relationship with someone, um, you know, again, opening up a conversation can be really helpful in someone feeling that they're not alone in the workplace and that there is someone that they can talk to. I do think uh, to the earlier part of our conversation, Bart, that the leadership can really set a tone for what is, you know, viewed as being the culture of the organization and the inclusive and the inclusivity of the, of the organization. And, And that's really important because of course, what, the way that leaders behave and the tone that they set, um, you know, trickles down through an organization uh, and uh, and can really then influence the behaviors of others as well. You know, I, I can think of my own experience of people I've known, friends, uh, people I've worked with who have, you know, wrestled with mental health. And, you know, I wish I'd had this conversation 20 years ago, you know, but Oh, sorry to interrupt you, Bart, but your your comment about a friend, um, you know, reminds me of of a friend that I have who, um, in my life, a very special person to me who does struggle um, with depression. And and one of the things that she's done is helped me to understand when she may be struggling so that I'm empowered to reach out to her. So I now understand that if I don't hear from her for a period of time, that that's a, that's often a sign that she's in, uh, you know, that she, that she's struggling and that then triggers for me to reach out and say, are you okay? 
um, what's going on. Let's let's talk about it. And so I think that one of the things that we can do as well um, is to to practice our own health and well-being is to encourage the people around us that we care about in our lives to help. I like that. I like that because, you know, we all deal with stress, anxiety, pressure, uh, even those, you know, no matter what world we operate in and others deal with much worse. So having that self-awareness and being able to ask for help is, is, is really important. I'd like to end by asking you, you know, you said we're in the early days here of this shift. I'd like you to share with me your vision. You know, if you, you know, if, if things progress the way you hope, what will the world of work and the world of mental health look like five, 10 years from now? When I joined Catalyst about 12 years ago, uh, we were very much always asked the question, why should we focus on gender equality in workplaces? Why does it matter? Yeah. And over the course of a number of years, the conversation very much shifted from why to how. And I think when we when we cross that same kind of uh, divide on the mental uh, health issue in workplaces where organizations really, it's just understood that the health and well-being of employees, that their mental health is as important as any other aspect of their health and contribution, and that organizations have both workplace mental health strategies in place that they are uh, practicing um, and building uh, strategies that are built on evidence and best practices, that they are creating the sense of psychological safety in the workplace where conversations can happen. When that happens, when I when I see that every organization thinks about their strategy and leaders are talking about it, and we are seeing um, we are seeing the most senior leaders in the corporate sector talking about mental health um, issues. Then, then I know that we've made a significant change. Well, and from what you said today, that's a change we can work towards, no matter what level we are, no matter what organization we're in, no matter what our role is. We all have a part to play uh, in promoting mental health. And, and the, the big thought, too, that I'm taking away from this is that mental health is health. And we need to speak up. We need to support people. And the world will be better for it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I, I would you know encourage listeners to think, would you hesitate to tell someone in your workplace that you had had a serious medical diagnosis or that one of your children was sick? And would you hesitate to tell the same employees in your workplace that you are experiencing depression or anxiety or a more complex mental health issue or that someone in your family is? Um, And it's that disparity between how we think about mental health and physical health to say mental health is health and needs to be talked about, treated, the stigma eliminated um, so that we go uh, forward and both seek the help and support that we need and frankly that those services are funded in the same way that they need to be um, is also an important part of the shift that needs to happen.
Well, I certainly think that you're in the right organization. You know, the passion you have for this cause and the clarity of your vision uh, tells me you've uh, you've come to the right place. So thank you, Deborah, for coming on, sharing with us these insights into why mental health matters and how we can speak up to promote it. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Deborah Gillis. Really drove home how mental health is health and then anyone can and should speak up to promote it. Lots of stuff I'm taking away from that and I'm going to continue to put into practice here at the Humphrey Group and beyond. Next week on the Inspire Podcast, I welcome Pamela Slim. Pamela is an author. She's a business coach and she's uh, she comes from a really unique space where she got a bit tired of the corporate world, wrote some great books that resonated, uh, and the most notable one being Escape from Cubicle Nation, From Corporate Prisoner to Thriving Entrepreneur. And today, she helps business owners uh, with their lives and their personal stories. And that's what I have her on to talk about, what your personal story can and should be. And whether you're going to be an entrepreneur or have a career in the corporate world or not the profit sector, you need to have a personal story. And she shares with us why and how you can craft your own story. So... I'll be back next week with that conversation.